to the top. It took us 14 hours to hike Pikes Peak in what should have taken about five. And, uh, and, but we made it to the top. We got there. And, and it was just this, I, I mean, I just tell you that that's kind of a goofy story. But, but as we picture, as I read this, I'm, I'm picturing who will ascend the hill of the Lord. And I'm like, whoo, man, I, I don't know. I have all the greatest experience ascending mountains, God. I don't know if this is really what you want me to be doing here. Maybe you could say who will ride the river of God or who will swim the pool of God or who will watch the movie of God, you know. But, but I don't know about this hiking this mountain. But here's the thing, the verse that's been arresting me about in in this is is who will ascend. And and here's what I love about Psalm 24. It doesn't, you know what it assumes? It assumes motivation. It assumes that we all want to ascend the hill of the Lord. It doesn't ask, hey, who wants to? Here's how you can. No, David is assuming, of course, the presence of God is at the top. Who can, who may, but we all want to. It assumes that if we have encountered him, if we have tasted and seen, then we know, oh, I am willing to go to the top. And we're reading this, but here's the verse that's been arresting me. Verse three, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, those with clean hands and pure heart, who do not trust an idol or swear by what is false. Listen, guys, I know in this room alone, there are so many, you know, that we have Ascend Youth Groups and Ascension Youth Groups. We have Ascend Camps and Ascend the Hill Camps. I mean, we get this. So, listen, I know I'm not saying anything super new tonight, okay? Actually, I, I, the, the nature of preaching where I am, every guy that has gone already has used my verses. They've stolen everything I'm going to say. So you will hear nothing new, but you'll hear it from me. <laughs> Verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. I have good news. There will be a day when we stand before Jesus and he tells the story of mankind and he will mark This generation sought me. This generation sought me. There will be generations defied seeking Jesus. There will be generations that that is the title that they are given. Oh, that that would be this generation. Oh, that we would be such that would say that when we stand before Jesus, he says, this generation, 2015, whatever generation we're in, they sought me. They came after me. And I know that that's why you're doing what you're doing. I know the reason you are giving so much, the reason that you sacrifice so much, the reason that you disciple, the reason that you preach, the reason that you lead worship, the reason, I mean, what we're doing, when you t- we want young people to seek Jesus. We want young people to encounter Jesus. That's what our heart is. It, it, the reason that it's our aim, it's our goal, it's our prayer, that we would see, that we would live in a generation defined. As seeking Jesus. When I got to the top of that dumb mountain behind me. I realized something. So I was leading that group. And our only option was to get to the top. And if I didn't lead it. Then it may never happen. I had to lead the way. 
you sitting in this room tonight, you are leaders. If we want to see it, we have to be it. If we want to see a generation seeking Jesus, then we have to be those that seek him ourselves. If we want to be, if we want to see young people loving Jesus, we better love him. If we want to see young people worship Jesus, we better worship him. If we want to see people committed to the cause of Christ, then we better dang be committed. Right? Brandon tells me I have to have sermon titles. So if I was to title this, it's that we got to be what we want to see. We got to be what we want to see. See, I got that. That's the... If we want to see young people, if we want to see, if, if, we want, if we believe, and you may not agree with me, okay? You may read that verse and you're like, oh, I don't know if that's really what it says. I just read where it says, such is the generation of those who seek him, that that means that there will be generations that seek him. So that at least gives me hope that we can be such a generation, that we can live in that. And so if that can be, then I want it. And if we want to see that in the young people that we lead, if we want to see that in our churches, if we want to see that in our schools, if we want to see that in our cities, then we have to own it ourselves. And we have to say, for me, I am going to be one that ascends the hill. I'm going to be one that goes after Jesus. I'm going to be one that doesn't relent, that doesn't, that doesn't pull back. I'm not going to ask them to do what I'm not willing to do. If we want to see it, we have to be it. Right? Brandon said it last night. It's, it's perfect. Said, what, what lives in you will live in, in them. What's dead in you will be dead in them, right? I love the quote. Attitude reflect leadership. Right? Remember the Titans. Attitude reflect leadership. Here's the, here's the thing. As leaders, I believe that, you know, there's, there's kind of the idea that uh, you'll hear a lot. That what, what you as a leader will do in moderation, that they will do in excess. You know, it's interesting, though, because I, I think it could apply the other way as well. Here, here's how I would say it. What you, as a leader, where you compromise in moderation, they will compromise in excess. And where you sacrifice in excess, they may sacrifice in moderation. As leaders... It's our job. If we want to see them come after Jesus, if we want to see them, we got to run harder. We can't have certain standards for ourselves that are less than what we have for them. We can't say, oh, but I've, I've paid my dues. I've, I, I went through the teenage years passionate for Jesus. So, so I did it then, now you can do it. No, 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 no. If you want them to do it, then we got to do it now. You have to be passionate for Jesus in your 20s and 30s and 40s. If you want them to be passionate for Jesus in 13, 14, and 15. So it's not that we can't. We can. Listen, if you want them to fast a day a week, then fasting should be a regular part of what you do. If you want them to pray for 15 minutes, then let's take the burden that we're going to pray for an hour. And I, listen, I'm not, and Gary mentioned this today. Like, I'm not trying to spit legalism on you. I'm not trying to say that you, I'm just saying this isn't out of, out of this like, oh, I have to. Because the primary difference, I believe the primary difference between legalism and discipline is motivation. 
The difference between legalism and discipline is motivation. And our motivation is not that we're trying to earn our way. Our motivation is not, I have to do this. I have to work hard so that maybe if, if I do it, oh, just grit my teeth and bear this. And then maybe my students will be good. No. No, we as leaders, we as people have been given the invitation ourselves. Seek me. Find me. He's our motivation. He's who we're running after. He's the one. So how, how dare we be like, oh, it's just legalism to like do all these things to try to find. No, what? Jesus is available. Let's do whatever it takes. Let's sacrifice wherever we have to. Let's give all. Because he has made himself all available to us. And so how? Okay, okay. Okay, great. Wonderful. We want to be those that like ascend the hill of God. We want to be those that seek after him. We want to be those that, that okay, great. How does, what does that really look like? So this is John 15. John 15, 5. If you remain in me, or if you abide in me, and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, if you stay in me, if you plug into me, if you let me be your source, if you let me, Jesus saying, hey, 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 I'm available to you. Come on, plug into me. Find your strength from me. Remain in me, abide. And when I I start thinking about, okay, what does this abide? What does this mean, abide? Like, do we use that word anymore? You know, abide in me. It's to live, it's to remain, it's to dwell. It's this idea that David understood, right? We prayed it earlier. David said, oh, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The one thing, the thing above everything else. Notice David didn't say, I'm not going to do anything else in my life. He said, the thing above everything else is that I'm going to be defined as someone who dwells in the house of God, who dwells in the presence of God. I love in Psalm 23, David, you know, right? We know this is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, right? How's he end it? That I may dwell in your presence, in your house forever. Psalm 23 is, I want to dwell in your house forever. And we get that. We're going to get to spend eternity with him. Eternity in his presence. But in Psalm 27, he said, oh, you know what? I don't want to wait till then. I don't want to just wait for forever for an eternity. Today. All the days of my life. See, earlier he said, oh, I want to be in the presence of God for eternity. And listen, maybe that's why most of us said yes to Jesus in the first place, right? Because someone told us if we didn't, then we were going to hell. And we just figured heaven sounded better than hell. That's great. Okay. But we don't have to wait till then to be in his presence. We don't have to wait until then We don't have to say, oh, in eternity I get to be with him. In eternity I'm going to be in his presence. No. He says, remain in me now. Be with me now. Live with me now. I am available to you now. It's this invitation. It's this this thing that we are being asked. Okay, come, seek me. Right? Find me. And if you seek me, the promise is that you will find me. Because you seek me with all of your heart. And that's hard. With all of our heart. Why, why go up this mountain of God? The answer is always a person. And his name is Jesus. It's not a better life. 
It's not because if I do this, if I seek Jesus, he'll make things easier. It's not because I have no other skills and so I'll just pretend to be a pastor. I mean, some of us feel that way, but... It's not... Why, 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 why? Oh, I want people to see me as a leader. So this is... No. no. If our motivation has to be Jesus. Our motivation is, okay, I'm going to seek him. And he is available to me. He is available to each one of us here tonight. Hebrews 11.6. Anyone who comes to Jesus must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him, right? In Psalm 24, verse 5, what does it say? It says he, that, that we receive blessing from the Lord or rewards from God when we seek him. Guys, we serve a God who loves to give good rewards. He loves to reward those who seek him. Actually, a prerequisite to following Jesus is two things. I believe he exists and he wants me to seek him. That's what it means. He exists. He is real and he is available to me. I can seek him and I can find him. He's not far off. He's not distant. He's not, he's not a God from decades or centuries or, or millennia ago. No, 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 no. He's alive today and available today. And he's inviting me. Abide. Remain in me. I will remain in you. He's saying, I want relationship with you. I want conversation with you. I don't know that it's hard sometimes to lead out of this conviction. And, and my, listen, we are called to be leaders that lead with conviction. That, that we have to, it, it, if we don't believe it to be true, then we're not really leading anyone anywhere. Right? Convictions. Convictions are not the beliefs that we, you know, that, that we hold. They're the beliefs that hold us. Convictions are not the things that we, you know, we, we hold on to them and we're like, no, this is true. No, 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 no. Convictions are the things that hold us and that we can't shake and that we can't get rid of and we are willing to give everything and we are willing to sacrifice for and we are willing to take a lower paying job for and we are willing to work more for and we are willing to do less for. We we are willing to say, I believe this so much that I'm not going to live in the rat race of the world. Listen, I look at you guys. I see so much talent. I know that you guys could be doing so many other things. But you have the conviction that he is available to you and he's available to these young people. And so you are willing to give. You give in the place of prayer. You give with your time. You give. And I believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. What are those rewards? We don't always know. Are they all here? I don't believe so. I think we aren't ultimately living for these mere 70 years that we have. But I do know one reward that is the reward above everything. And his name is Jesus. And he is alive and well. He is active and he is saying, come after me. I'll give you myself. I'm available to you. I don't want to be someone who talks about Jesus as a far-off person or a set of ideals or ideas. I love talking to pastors. I'm not, I'm not going to be weird like that. I'm going to tell you, my dad is in his 60s. When he talks about Jesus, tears come to his eyes. 
He talks about a person. He doesn't talk about an idea. He doesn't talk about someone distant. He talks about someone that he knows. I, I, this is weird because I'm all teary and weird tonight. I have never seen a tear in my dad's eye except for when he's talking about Jesus. I don't know if that matters or not. I just know that his heart is moved by Jesus because he's a real person. Because he has experienced it for himself. He hasn't experienced all the ministry success. He hasn't experienced all the world has to offer. He hasn't been rich. Trust me. But he will be. I have no doubt that he will be filthy, stinking rich in heaven for eternity. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. It's easy to say, oh, seek Jesus. Follow after him. He's the goal. He's what we're going after. Yeah. Woo, we love it. It's hard to do tomorrow when you're driving home. Right? And someone cuts you off. It's hard to do when there's a lot to get done and a lot of pressures and a lot of busyness. This has been a crazy year for Amy and I. It's been a year of us wrestling with the Lord and what are you doing? We've had new ministry opportunity, which is great. But it also means new pressures. It also means new responsibilities. It also means, you know, that there's new, new things in my heart that I, never knew were there, that I never knew were there, right? We, I, I became a dad this year. Okay, that's crazy. I got, all of a sudden now I worry. I never worried before. Like now all of a sudden I'm like worrying about things. I'm like, what am I going to do when I'm 40? God, am I going to have a job? You know, like I got to provide for this kid. I never worried about that. Now I got worries, I got pressures, right? We, I, we found out, like, I mean, he's perfect, he's beautiful. We found out this week that for some reason he just decides to hold his breath at night and his brain doesn't always trigger him to breathe. And I'm like, oh, now I'm, wor- I'm staying up at night watching him. Are you breathing? Are you breathing? Guys, seriously, we like put this little machine on his foot to see like how much oxygen is in him. Guys, it's the worst thing ever because I just watch it all night long. And it's like, when it's a good number, I'm like, yeah. And then it goes down, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like I'm cheering for a game. It's so weird. I should be sleeping. The doctor's like, okay, we're going to run this test. And here's what you need to do. You need to get him really asleep and put him in his car seat. And you want, you want to make it as hard for him to pass as possible. I looked at her, I was like, that is not my job. My job is to make him successful. I want him to pass. That's what I'm... We've been given opportunity with desperation. We've been... More continued opportunity with DLA. We're excited about what God's doing here at New Life with prayer. Those are great things, but man, they sure do bring up insecurities. They sure do bring up pressures. They sure do bring up all these other things. And you know the first thing that goes? The first thing is my intimacy with Jesus. Because I get so busy. I got so many things to do. And so, it's so it begins to become so easy for me to just rely on yesterday's revelation. So easy for me just to be like, oh, okay, it's what David talked about this morning. Oh, I preached this sermon before and it was alive in my heart. And I don't know if it's still even, it was kind of heresy then, but I'll tweak it now a little bit, you know. 
And maybe it'll still, I'm just joking. I, I, don't, I don't try to preach heresy. And so I tried, what, what was alive before? And then maybe it's, I mean, it's just so easy to just let my purposeful and intentional conversation with Jesus decrease. Because I got so many things to do. And here's the thing. They're really good things. There's so many really good things to do. It's easy to allow the pressures and the expectations, the comparisons and the quotas to just squeeze out our passion for Jesus, to squeeze out the lifeblood, the the very thing that should be sustaining us, this relationship with him. I believe that as leaders in the kingdom, our first priority is a heart alive in Jesus. Our first priority. I believe, I don't write your job description. You probably don't either. But I believe that the first line of our job description should be the first commandment. To love God. That our heart, so whether it's, it's not really our job, but but it is our job. It is what we're called to do. We say, this is the priority. This is what I'm going to rearrange my life to make sure is happening. I cannot lead anybody to Jesus if I'm not going there myself. I cannot, I can try, I can fake it for a little bit and it may seem good. And, and you know what? Here's the truth. And I'm just gonna, listen, by the grace of God, he overcomes our weakness. And sometimes we go with this fake it till I make it mentality, right? And, and, and some students actually still get to encounter Jesus because he is that good. But it's not sustainable, And if we want to have long-lasting impact, and if we want to really lead them to someone, if we want to really lead them to a relationship with Jesus, then we can't go about faking our way through it. We have to say, Jesus, my heart has to be alive in you. This was the secret to Jesus' life. Right? He's our model. He's the one we want to be like. And what did he do? He often got alone to pray. He left all his boys said, I'm going to go be with the Father. He did nothing apart from the Father. This is the model he gave us. This is what we're called to do. So we need to deliberately and purposely take steps to keep our heart alive, to be with him, to have conversation with him. So often I say I'm following Jesus, but I act as if he's following me. I say that that I'm following him and he's going to lead me, but But I'm making all the decisions. I'm not asking about nothing. And I just expect him to be there when I do it. No, we we take time. and You're going to sacrifice for what you care for. As as our our DLA staff, we we are sitting in a meeting. We're like, okay. Caleb talked earlier how we're going to be surround this thing about discipleship in the place of prayer. And we said, okay, if we're going to do this, then we have to be willing to sacrifice good things in order for our students to pray. And no one's going to understand. And people are going to look at us and be like, that's stupid. There's so many good things they could be doing. There's so many other things they could be doing. Why are you having them do that? And we're going to have to take that. We're going to have to, to be okay with the, with the people not understanding. We're going to have to be okay with desperation and DLA suffering in order to allow them to encounter Jesus. Because you sacrifice for that what you care for. If we care about having a relationship with Jesus, then we, have, we will sacrifice for it. 
We're going to have to rearrange things. Maybe you have to rearrange your schedule. You're going to have to rearrange your hobbies. You're going to have to rearrange your friends maybe. But do we believe that he's worth it? Do we believe that he, that, that, that he will reward us if we do it? And, and are we okay with that reward looking different than what we would define it as? We like to read about Jesus. Jesus really understood the human heart. I think that's why he talks about rewards all the time. But notice he never tells us what those were. I mean, he's not like, hey, seek me and I'll give you a hundred bucks. Right? He just says reward. He leaves it vague. And we're like, yeah, I saw you. Where's my reward? He's like, oh, (laughs) this is what it was actually. And we're like, oh, you mean the fact that I have peace? That's the reward you gave me? I never knew that that was the reward that I needed. The fact that I'm not just filled with the muck of comparison God, I didn't even know that you gave that to me. I didn't know you did that in me. I didn't know it was a reward because I didn't know it, was, it wasn't there. So we don't know what the reward is, but it doesn't matter. He promises that he will give him. And he says, right, we have a good father who gives good gifts. So even if we don't understand the gift, it's still a good gift. Okay, a few things really quick, hopefully. <laughs> if we abide in him, I think there's... There's so many things, but three things I want to hit on really quick. Number one, when we abide in him, he becomes our fuel. He becomes our fuel. I love the quote, C.S. Lewis. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other. A couple years ago, a while back, uh, we were on tour with DLA, uh, driving through middle America. I was driving a van. And when you drive through middle America, you got to stop to get gas occasionally. I pulled out gas and I filled up the van. Only to find out it was a diesel. That van did not work. That trip, it should have <laughs> been a nice four-hour day, right? It was not. We had to tow the van. Our students were playing hacky sack in a Walmart parking lot. Or, in a, yeah, in a Walmart parking lot. We're, we're now seven hours behind schedule having to call the church. I have to call the church. I'd be like, yeah, someone, someone put, put unleaded in the diesel. And so we're stuck. And they're like, who would do so? I don't know. Someone who just is not paying attention. Guys, we were designed to run on him. We were designed. He's the fuel that we were designed to run on. And we try to fill it with so many other things. We try to run on so many other things. We try to run on recognition, the applause of man. We try to run on ministry success, the influence that we have, promotion, leadership, money, whatever it is. We, we try to run on these other things. And maybe we can for a little bit, but we weren't designed to. And so when you put the wrong fuel in a machine, it's going to break it down. And that... I believe is where we start to use this word that you knew was coming sometime, burnout, right? That's what we always got to talk about, right? When you get pastors together, it's like you go to like a men's breakout, you know, you're going to talk about lust. You go to a pastor's thing, you know, you're going to talk about burnout. What? I don't know what girls talk about. <laughs> Identity. No, that's all of it. Anyway. <laughs> Guys, he is the source. He is the fuel. He's the one that we were designed to... So when we try to fill it with all these other things, it lasts for a little bit. But in time, we're just like, "Uh, 
I can't do it. And oh, Jesus, it just wasn't what I expected. And he's like, of course not. You're doing ministry without me. You're trying to be a Christian without me. Who does that? That is not logical. You shouldn't try to be a Christ follower without Christ. He's the source. He's the fuel. He's the motivation. Burnout doesn't come from working too much. It comes from working without the right motivation. Jesus is our fuel. When we abide in him, when we press into him, he is our fuel. Number two, he's the one that brings the fruit. Abide in me. I will abide in you. You will bear much fruit. The prerequisite to fruit is not your great idea. It is not the next trend. It's not that you're super cool. It's that you've pressed into him. You've plugged into him. I had a conversation one time with a youth pastor who told me he watched hours of MTV every day so that he could stay relevant. Someone should tell him that the very nature of watching MTV now makes him irrelevant. I had three youth pastors. One of them might be in this room, so I should be careful. Listen, those guys didn't scratch cool. They didn't come close to cool. But do you know what they did? They loved Jesus. And for some reason, they loved me. And it changed my life. They loved Jesus. And they loved me. And it changed my life. You don't have to be cool. You just have to love Jesus. And love them. And that's hard. Sometimes. But he's the one that brings the fruit, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. I planted the seed, Paul says. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Don't get too excited when your ministry starts to explode. Don't get too depressed when it's not. It ain't up to you. It's up to pressing into him, letting him be the Listen, some of you guys are just planting seeds right now. Those are seeds of discipleship, seeds of prayer, You're just planting seeds. And you will likely maybe never see that fruit. Some of you, you're just booming. And you're like, woo, what I'm doing's working. Don't get so big on yourself. Someone else planted those seeds. And Jesus is the one that makes them grow. Caleb talked earlier, we're doing 60 hours or so of prayer in this room each week. I love that. That's awesome. I I, want to keep doing that. I want to do more. Because we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Those that have gone before us, that have paved the way. I talk about it all the time. I have an incredible family. I have brothers and sisters that love Jesus. I have parents that love Jesus. I get to drive down the road that they paved. I shouldn't, I'm not, I don't need to take credit for anything. I don't, I I just, some plant, some some water, he makes it grow. We need to look, Jesus, every piece of, I don't want to, I don't want fruit. That I make grow. That would be weird fruit. I want it to be you. If the fruit that your students are showing is that they dress like you, who cares? If the fruit that they're showing is that they talk like you, okay. If you talk about Jesus. We're not looking for fruit based on what we can do. We're looking at fruit because we have plugged into him. And therefore, he's the one that brings the fruit. He's the one that makes it grow. Amy was having a conversation recently with a pastor. She was 
in her six, 60s and she said this phrase and I just loved it. She just said, listen, your job is to take care of your own heart. He'll take care of your ministry. Your job is to take care of your heart and let him take care of your ministry. So relax a little bit and let him provide the fruit when we press into him. The last thing, he is our fuel. He provides the fruit. And for you, he makes you fearless. What I mean by that, John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, I love you. Now remain in my love. Abide in me. Jesus says, hey, listen, as much as God the Father loves me, that's how much I love you. Now, let that define you. Let that be your motivation. You don't care so much about what other people are saying. When we begin to know, when we're loved, right? I joke about this all the time, right, with with young people. Like, we just, we like to be liked, right? You guys don't understand this, right? Because you're my generation, okay? So when you were in school, right? Remember those little notes we used to pass, right? You get a note. Do you like me? Check yes. Check no. Check maybe. You know what I'm talking about? And what happens? You're like, who is this person? Maybe. And you're, you know what? Actually, yes. And then you start going out and you go out for 48 hours and then you break up and you're heartbroken. Whatever. There's something about the human heart we like to be liked. Most of my friends like me. Most of them. I, I mostly like hanging out with people that like me. I don't just love hanging out in groups of people that just mock me all the time, right? And they just don't like me, and so they just make fun of me. And I'm just like, oh, oh this is wonderful. No, that's not how we work. We like to be liked. What happens when we know that God loves us is it changes everything inside of us. We become focused on him instead of everything around us. And what happens? Perfect love. He would be the one with perfect love. Cast out fear. So now all of a sudden, we don't need to have someone like our last tweet, right? We don't need someone to fave it, right? We don't need to look at how many people are liking our pictures. We don't need someone to come up after every sermon. Oh, that was so good. The Lord spoke to you. We don't need other people to come and fill that void because we know that he loves us. Therefore, we are successful. And that causes us to be fearless. And what I mean by that, his perfect love casts out fear. I think feared people, fearless people are dangerous Love people are dangerous to the enemy. And here's the thing. When you know that you're loved, you have freedom to fail. You have freedom to try new things, to, to press, to go where you've not gone before. And you're not, uh, when, when you're so afraid of what are people going to think? Oh, I don't know what they're going to think, so I just have to do what's been done before. Let me just repackage a sermon. Let me just look to somebody else. Oh, let's just do what everybody else has always done. But when you know I'm loved, let's try something new. Whew, that failed. Ah, good thing I'm not defined by my failures. Man, I tried to preach that sermon and no one shed a tear. No one got saved last night. Ah! Guess what? He's like, that's okay. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Let's go at it again. You got freedom. There can be no create, creativity where there's not freedom to fail. If there's not freedom to try new things, if there's not freedom to fail, there cannot be creativity. And we were created in the image of the creator. We were designed to be creative. So try new things. Don't don't just go on yesterday's experience or yesterday's revelation or what other people are doing. Great for them if it works for them. It may or may not work for you. Ask Jesus, hey, creator, what do you want me to do? What's creative? You actually want to talk to me, so let's talk. 
And he may say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Someone else has already done it. You should do it. And you're like, oh, great. Or he may say, hey, this is something new. Try this. But are we asking him? Or that's what I said earlier. Or are we just saying, hey, this is what we're going to do, Jesus. Tag along. Listen, he is our fuel. He's the one that brings the fruit. And if we know we are loved by him, then we can be fearless. We, we don't have to worry about what other youth pastors think, what other worship leaders think. We don't have to worry about what our students think. You can be goofy in front of them. And uh, my youth pastor is just not cool. Oh, well, who cares? I don't care what you think. Jesus likes me. He thinks I'm cool. Ish. My prayer for us is that we are those that commit to ascending to the presence of God. A couple years ago at Desperation, David, my brother, preached on Psalm 24. And he talked about the quitters that stop before they even get started. The campers that make it halfway up and they're just like, oh, it's too hard. And then there's some that are ascenders. None of us in this room want to quit. None of us want to stop halfway. I mean, you will want to stop. Listen, when I was taking those kids up that mountain, I wanted to stop. I was like, let's just make camp. We're going to create a new society here. We'll figure it out. But we had resonated ourselves. We had resolved that was not an option. Right? We will ascend the hill. We will Seek him, and we will find him. And if we will, then they will. Okay? Let's go ahead and stand with me, Corey, if you guys want to come up. I want to encourage you tonight that Jesus is worth the journey. Jesus is worth... Whatever obstacles we face, Jesus is worth whatever mockery comes our way. Jesus is worth the difficulties. Jesus is worth it all. And I'm not trying to paint a picture like it's all bad days. Guys, I have had far more good days than bad days. But the bad days are the ones that we tend to remember, huh? But he's worth every moment. He's worth every trial. He's worth it all. And he is faithful. And he that started the good work, he will be faithful to complete it. Guys, here's the, here's the truth. My, I, I believe. The beauty of what we get to do is that, and this is, again, Dave talked about this this morning. We're a part of a much bigger story. We're a part of a story that God is telling. And it's not mostly about us. We're mostly concerned with our part. But we are a part of a much bigger story. But here is the beautiful part. He has invited us to play a role. What? He could have, I mean, he's telling this grand story. And he's invited you to be a part of his story in your church. He's invited you to be a part of his story in your city, in your state. Man, if that doesn't give you value... The one who is writing the grand story has actually invited me to be a part. I have a role to play, and he's going to tell my story too. So here's, I just, tonight, I just want us to re-sign up. I just want us to say again, Jesus, I want to stand on that promise that those who seek you will find you. 
I want to seek you with all of my heart. Maybe even begin to ask the Lord, God, would you, Psalm 139, would you search my heart? Would you look inside of me? Seek you and find you when I seek you with all of my heart. Is there anything in my heart that I've sought above you? Not purposely, but am I more concerned with the praise of man? Am I more concerned with the opinions of people? Am I more concerned with success?